Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clipped that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. It's Wednesday, August 24th. And I, oh my God, I can almost feel, I can almost see the NFL regular season action just off in the distance. It's so close. It's so close. But there's still some preparation to do for the season to come, for your drafts that are probably happening as you're listening to this. Got some preparation. But we got a great show here today. I'm not joined by any of the normal Yahoo goofballs. I'm joined by a special guest today who is going to provide us with some unique insight into a conversation I've been kind of dying to dig into. It's the guys that are have the biggest injury questions throughout the uh, NFL. And in order to do that, I wanted to bring on a guy who's been name dropped on the show probably a hundred times in the last couple of weeks. So I was like, all right, enough of this, enough of me and Dalton saying like, Hey, Edwin Poros of Fantasy Point says, I was like, let's just get Edwin on the damn show. So joining us today is Edwin Poros from Fantasy Points, who's undoubtedly going to light up Dalton Del Don at some point during this podcast for stealing Saquon <laughs> Barkley from him in a league that we're all in together. Edwin, my guy, welcome to the show. How you doing? Man, you were locked in. I was just saying right before we got on that you look effing locked in. <laughs> I, I, I was going to cuss because I want to get bleeped. I've never been bleeped the way that you guys bleep, but I won't do it. So I think it's super cool. But moral of the story here, you're locked in. You're ready to go. And and you bring up Dalton, right? And I definitely have some beef with Dalton. First of all, he says that I don't read his stuff. False. Because I offered him Najee Harris plus Sky Moore. Okay, maybe Sky Moore not so great anymore. But two weeks ago, we were lighting up the sky with Sky Moore that I did offer him Saquon. I do want Saquon on my team. He did snap Saquon for me, so it is what it is. I'm ready to talk some injuries, though. Matt, I can answer some questions, and I really appreciate you trading this uh, podcast for uh, charting Kyle Pitts. Thank you. Oh my God, the, you and the Kyle Pitts horde. I can't even get into that right now. I won't. I won't bring that negative energy onto this show. And how dare you for doing that? Serious business here. We're bringing you on to talk about all of this injury-related uh, stuff. So before we do that, though, I think it's kind of important. Tell the people about your background, um, how you ended up in the fantasy industry, but um, just about your medical background in general. I think it's kind of important before we give out a bunch of injury-related advice here. Yeah, man. I uh, got my certificate online. It took about three. I'm just kidding. No. So I went to physical <laughs> therapy school, <laughs> Kansas City area, graduated, did an orthopedic residency, or the residencies aren't quite required in physical therapy yet. So that's an additional year that you don't have to do. But I decided to do it to get a little better at what I do, work on my craft a little. In that time, my last year in PT school, I reached out to this guy named Ben Kukanis on a whim. I said, I'll do this stuff for free. I think it's fun. I don't have, you know, I have a sh little graphic that I had on Twitter. I had like 20 followers. I said, I'll do injury stuff for free. Let me do your podcast once a week. And he was like, yeah, sure. So then um, here we are three years later. It's been a wild ride. In the meantime, I did finish my residency. I now currently work in the minor league system for the Minnesota Twins. I'm a physical therapist. So uh, we see there all the rehab cases, long-term cases down in Fort Myers, Florida, where you just were, or at least in the area. We'll have to catch up at some point. But yeah, that's a little breakdown of, of who I am. I'm an orthopedic specialist, right? So I took the test and somebody gave me a piece of paper saying that I'm an orthopedic specialist, yada, yada. I treat baseball players. And yeah, man, I'm just excited to be on this show with Matt Harmon. That's what matters right now. 
<laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. And I'm excited to give the people out there some good injury information. Uh, you're an actual real expert in the field treating real athletes. I'm just some knucklehead, you know, pontificating about this. So I think it's going to be great for the, all the people out there. So let's jump right into it. Before we get into some of the main guys we want to talk about here, I do have a couple of just injury-related current news updates to run through. Um, Edwin, the Lions placed wide receiver Jamison Williams on the reserve slash NFI list. We know that he tore his ACL late into his collegiate season. Um, we kind of expected this to be the situation, that he wouldn't be anywhere close to 100% or even probably ready to start the regular season. When when do you think we might see Jamison Williams at some point this year um, or, or maybe it's more like a 2023 bet. Yeah. So I think that we're going to see him this year. It's just not going to be before, you know, week eight or something like that. He had surgery in the nine month mark for him. And the nine month mark is of course, when that retail rate goes down, the nine month mark is round October 13th or something like that. So that's not quite eight weeks, you know, eight weeks, but if they continue to hold him out or if he has a setback or if he had an ACL plus, it's going to be after that. So really I would say that his, his rookie season is probably going to be a wash. Uh, it's not somebody I'm necessarily particularly excited about in, in 2022, but that's not because he's not talented. I mean, he just didn't get any camp time. He's coming off of the ACL. We shouldn't expect this to slow him down in the future, but for this year, it's just not looking like he's necessarily somebody that's going to boom fancy. That 100% makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't see anything really from him this year. I mean, I think that kind of means that DJ Chark's like a decent late round value, you know, especially in a best ball format because he's probably going to man that X receiver speed X receiver position all year long. But nevertheless, like Jamison Williams long term, we'll see what happens this year. Probably not too much uh, from him here in 2022. All right, another news, another piece of rookie uh, news here, injury-related. I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on this, but the Panthers placed Matt Corral on injured reserve, ends his season. Terrific, another great uh, quarterback move by by the great Carolina Panthers. Uh, they traded multiple draft picks to get up here for for Matt Corral. And, I mean, I, I don't know, man. It, it, whatever. Who, who cares about Matt Corral? Who cares about the Carolina Panthers? They're going to start Baker Mayfield this year. Um, any any sort of long-term concerns for for Matt Corral? I mean, I got long-term concern, long concerns about a guy missing his entire rookie year and probably dealing with a new coaching staff next year, but any medical concerns long-term? No, you know, these are just going to take some time to rehab. This is the last major injury that Cam Newton had, if, if everybody remembers that. It takes anywhere between six and nine months to come back from for a quarterback. I mean, there is a little bit of an increased risk for, you know, re-damage or re-injury or, you know, stiffness in the foot and ankle. In the grand scheme of things, no, there's not a lot of, a lot to necessarily worry about for a quarterback specifically when it comes to this stuff. So, uh, yeah, maybe Matt Corral. I mean, I'm sure Matt Corral definitely, his mom definitely cares about Matt Corral and his foot. But, <laughs> you know, as fantasy players, we, we do not so much care for Matt Corral's fantasy value. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Last one here before we jump into the meat of the show. 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan said that running back Elijah Mitchell who's been dealing with a hamstring injury this preseason, is on schedule to play week one. Edwin, Elijah Mitchell dealt with a lot of injury problems in his rookie year. He's dealing with an injury problem heading into his second year. Andy and I talked about the running back dead zone on the last episode. And, you know, we my first guy that I was concerned about, he's at the top of the, the dead zone tier to me, is Elijah Mitchell. There's a lot of ways that you can talk yourself into him from a fantasy pick standpoint. There's a lot of ways you can talk your, yourself out of him as well. But with Elijah Mitchell, this preseason injury, where do we stand right now heading into this current season? Not great, man. Honestly, if you zoom out, let's look at this big picture, right? I'm typically the guy that's an injury optimist just because there's a 98% injury rate in NFL games. It's quite literally the anomaly to be healthy unless you're a quarterback or a punter. So everybody gets hurt, but there are some guys that just naturally, for whatever reason, you know, probably because human beings weren't meant to build as much muscles as they possibly could and smash into each other at extremely high speeds. But there are some guys whose body tends to break down a little bit faster than others. And this is just since 2017, by the way, shout out to Dr. Ethan Turner, another physical therapist who he actually goes through. He has this really great prospect guide where he literally digs through some injuries down into middle school and he has these guys score. And Elijah Mitchell last year actually had one of the highest prospect scores uh, in his model. And it is correlated with future games played because we know that uh, we also know that NCAA games played, college games played correlate with draft capital also correlates with games played in the NFL. So all of that in context, right? That was fast. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, just since 2017, he had a Liz Franks injury. 
Uh, he had a stinger last in 2018. He had Achilles tendonitis, which, meh, you know, you don't love that, but it's not the biggest thing in the world. Then last year, again, we saw him get that concussion stinger shoulder injury, which is like a peripheral nerve injury. Essentially, your the the nerve gets um, affected when you get just basically smash into it. And, you know, he had the concussion as well. And then in the offseason, he had a knee scope. You don't love that. I mean, the dude is so young and now he's got this hamstring strain, probably from all these, you know, up and down workloads, probably from the knee scope. It's not looking great. He's not a guy that I would trust as, you know, and I don't think anybody would ever do this necessarily, but as like an anchor RB or anything like that, right. like there's no way that I'm doing that. Uh, we know that once you have a hamstring strain, he, this is probably at least a grade two hamstring strain. Uh, there's about a 71% recurrence rate in season for hamstring strains. Uh, and this is more than likely for the more severe ones. I can't say that for a fact. That's just based on my own research that, I, that I've done from 2016, 2019. So all in all, Elijah Mitchell is not a safe bet to stay on the field. The irony is that Trey Sermon also came in in Ethan Turner's prospect guide with a high injury score. We saw him get injured last year. So I don't know what it is with the SF running backs, but uh, I, I just don't necessarily trust him from a health perspective. Right. That's what's so funny is that it just seems like they collect these guys who are consistently injured, um, everything like that. But and I, I don't know what I don't know what to make of that, but it just kind of is what it is. So and, and this is the problem just with the dead zone part of it. You know, you said there's no way you trust Elijah Mitchell as your anchor running back, your hero running back, whatever. And I, I totally agree. But even as like your second running back, if he falls through the trap door that we talked about last episode, based on just right. just based on injury al in alone, you would be zero percent surprised. Right. I mean, but there's also other trap doors in his outlook, too, just in case like uh, they really start suddenly, you know, Kyle Shannon decides, you know what? I just love the committee. I'm using the committee, whatever. But it's the opportunity cost for taking a running back with this many holes in his profile. He goes 49th overall in consensus ADP. Some of the wide receivers around him, Mike Williams, um, DK Metcalf, whatever, Cortland, <laughs> Cortland Sutton, <laughs> Allen Robinson, Jerry Judy, Marquise Brown. Like, I'd much rather bank on those guys. Even if you're taking one of these high-end quarterbacks in this range, that's like the Lamar Jackson territory, right? You know, that you're kind of in the Kyler Murray zone too. And I just think that, it's crazy to say because we're typically so late round quarterback focused, but I think we've kind of changed the lens of that over the last couple of years. I'd rather take a, a, a Lamar Jackson in that range. I'd rather take a, a Kyler Murray in that range. Cause I think they're going to make more of a difference to your fantasy season than a guy that like Andy said on the last episode, probably in a best case scenario finishes with a thousand rushing yards, not much receiving work and maybe six touchdowns. That's like not going to make your season at that in that range. No, I agree 100%. I mean, even, yeah, there are so many trap doors for, you know, uh, Elijah Mitchell, and he's just, yeah, I don't think he's the guy that anybody should necessarily be targeting. All right, let's transition into 10 guys that you wanted to talk about. I specifically wanted the guys you wanted to hit on because I feel like, well, Edwin, I want you to give your your general thought on, like, the 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 phrase injury prone anyways before we jump into this. Um I don't, I don't know how I come down on this. I think it's kind of, it should be a case by case basis, but I feel like this year more than ever, there are a lot of injury situations that we, we need to get right this year. You know, some, some guys that have been banged up that are big names the last couple of years, we'll, we'll get into them here as well, but there's also some guys that are coming back at like an accelerated uh, time period than we're used to seeing it from like the Chris Godwin angle of it. Again, we'll get into specifics later, but just general thoughts on the state of like injuries in fantasy right now. And like the term injury prone and, and how you usually react to hearing that. Yeah. So obviously that's like the whole shtick. It's in my profile on Twitter. It's one of the <laughs> things that just frustrates me is the people who use it, who have absolutely no context and no medical background whatsoever. They'll just throw it around injury prone, injury prone, right? Because it's one thing to call Saquon Barkley injury prone. It's a totally different thing to call, you know, somebody that fell out of the league because of concussions, injury prone like those. Right. And it's an even a different thing to call somebody like James Conner injury prone which you know that's the one guy that i conceded just last year in the preseason like i think that's the one guy that i would possibly consider a guy that just can't hold up and then what did he do he went out and played 15 games and it looked great so that's my point and like i mentioned it earlier there's a 98 percent injury rate uh, on a population level in the nfl i mean that's like an epidemiological large-scale study we know dudes just get injured it doesn't mean they're going to get injured all at once it doesn't mean that they're going to get injured every year it just means they're going to get injured i think christian mccaffrey is another good example like he was healthy for and we'll get into him i'm sure but you know he he was healthy for an entire you know, four years and three years in the nfl and then all of a sudden boom he was injured all the time so this idea that we can predict injuries is is I mean, honestly BS because 
if there was some, you know, overlord in the sports medicine, uh, you know, rehab world that had the key to predict injury and prevent injury, and nobody would be injured. I wouldn't have a job and I wouldn't be on this podcast with you. So one last thing is I did take a look and it was a relatively small sample, but these are running backs since 2016 who finished in the top 25 on a points per game basis. I looked at their games played during the during their rookie years, the second year and their third year, and then their second year and their third year combined. And then I also looked at their uh, rookie year versus just last season. And there was an R squared of 0 0.01, 0.013 and a straight up zero correlation when you looked at their year two and three games played versus their uh, games played in 2021. So that doesn't mean that we can't, you know, on an individual basis, sort of like you mentioned, take a look at recurrence rates. It doesn't mean that we don't, you know, that we ignore concussions and we ignore lateral ankle sprains. It doesn't mean we ignore this stuff. What it means is that if we try to blanket, you know, injury prone bucket guys into this, this, this label, then I mean, yeah, it's we're volume shooters. We're probably going to Russell Westbrook our way to a triple double and guess a few guys right because everybody gets injured at some point. But you also like have to pick and choose who you listen to because I mean, I'll be the first to tell you if I'm if I was worried about a hamstring for Elijah Mitchell this year and then he loses however many games because he had a hip injury, it's disingenuous for me to be like, oh, see, I told you to avoid him. Yeah. Like, that's not the same thing. Um, and those are th those are the types of analyses that you want to sort of avoid. So I, that I went, I rambled, but moral stories, injury prone is a lie most of the time. Cause a lot of times it's just narrative and not based on any fact or individual analysis. Yeah. I think that makes total sense, right? Like if, um, if Elijah Mitchell goes out and struggles all through the year, cause he has a hamstring injury, well then you nailed that analysis. But if he goes out and like breaks his shoulder or something th that's silly to be like, see, told you so. But I feel like we bucket injuries, which is so silly that we do this. And I think we do this all the time in different things in fantasy football. It's insane that we have this, um, like my thing always comes back to player weight and put a pin in that for a second, because I'm going to come, I'm going to come back to that. But nobody in re the real world thinks that a player stay like a person stays at 220 pounds for um any stretch of time everybody knows your weight fluctuates hey my weight fluctuated from but when, when i left for florida and when i'm back from florida but that's a different story <laughs> i like <laughs> too many mimosas man. i wish it was mimosas but uh, we'll keep oh, well, that what, what, what was that hey, hey this is a this is a family okay. podcast family, all right family show, family show, family show. <laughs> orange juice yeah totally but i think that when you know, we know that weight fluctuates all the time, but we act like players stay at, you know, 220 pounds throughout the course of a season. Like with Najee Harris, when he said my weight was, this is what I weighed last year. It doesn't matter what my listed weight is, whatever. So I think injury is kind of the same way. We know that, you know, if you have a knee problem, that doesn't suddenly mean the, your entire body is going to break down. I think we just are a little, like you said, disingenuous about how we view it in football. And I want to bring it back before we move on to uh, what couple points here. It's not necessarily that, we should avoid all guys who are, are injury prone or, or, you know, whatever. Sometimes if you're too focused on injuries and just like, Oh, he's been hurt before. He's going to get hurt again. You miss out on, on big time value. Right. And I think that's what we're going to talk about here today is trying to find the right spots to pick your spots to draft these guys who've struggled with injuries because I guarantee you, if you're out there listening to this and you're thinking not drafting that guy, he's always hurt, whatever. The 11 other uh, guys and gals in your league are thinking it too. So maybe you can zig when other folks zag and try to spot that value. Last question before we move into specific players. This is, again, just like a personal ax to grind. Is there any <laughs> correlation between size and like injury rates or injury proneness or whatever? Because for me, Edwin, it always kind of drives me nuts when we're like, oh, he's small. He'll, he won't hold up, whatever. He's big. He'd be able to stand the pounding. And I know this is an anecdotal example and you're a real, um, you're a real medical professional. You probably just not take this seriously, but it always kind of stuck in my crawl that was when we talk about quarterbacks, oh, Kyler Murray's small. He can't hold up the pounding, which to be fair has held up so far. But does that make any sense when the quarterback who literally had Big in his name, Big Ben was the most <laughs> annoying injury guy of all time. You know what I mean? I, so, is yeah. there any like correlation between bigger players get hurt less or smaller guys get hurt more? Anything? Is there anything in the data that that supports that? You said uh, one other thing that before I answer that question that I think was was beautiful. And the last thing I'll say about like the injury prone you know uh, scenario is that the risk and recurrence rates that I mentioned earlier aren't static, right? People like me, I'm literally hired to bring guys into rehab and make sure that, that we do everything in our possible potential power to mitigate every risk factor that's going to uh, cause that injury again. And the same goes for these guys. Like that's why 
the the injury rates uh, vary so much for hamstrings because there are medical staffs who will focus their attention on preventing that from happening again, uh, which is why this isn't a perfect science. Uh, I'm going to trust somebody from the Rams medical staff a lot more than maybe any other organization just because I, I know that they're really going to try to leave no stone unturned. So that's in, in injury risks aren't static. That was the point that I'm making. But to answer your question, um, that's actually kind of uh, an interesting question that I've over the last couple of seasons, I've, I've accumulated some data on when it comes specifically to quarterbacks. Uh, there's actually no data or evidence to show that rushing quarterbacks in particular uh, are injured more frequently than quarterbacks like Big Ben. Uh, there's actually some data, and this is over at fantasypoints.com. I wrote this last year. There's actually some data showing that pocket passers are, are injured or on their injury report more frequently than others. Uh, but again, that's sort of beyond the point. Moral of the story when it comes to guys like Big Ben is like he was a pocket quarterback, obviously, um, that didn't suit him well. But yeah, he was massive, right? But that didn't necessarily prevent him from having injuries. So I don't think that's necessarily the case. And when you look at running backs, right, there's this massive 10-year study. Uh, what they looked at was running backs who, and this wasn't what the reason they were looking at uh, the, the running backs uh, for, but they, they charted it anyway. They looked at running backs that basically saw anywhere between 150, 300 carries over a 10-year span. And what they found was that if their their BMI on average was anywhere between, let's see, you know, the BMI was um, around 28, 29, and up to 32, 33. Like if their BMI running back specifically was in that range, then there was no correlation between injury rates. So it seems like once you hit a certain threshold in the NFL, at least for running backs, the injury rates don't matter. So that we can probably carry that over. I mean, look at Devonte Smith, right? Like he's been yeah. fine. Um, I think we sort of hyperventilate about a lot of these things just because we need something to talk about in this 24 sure. hour news cycle life that we live in now. Uh, but you know, there's no, people will also just like spew narratives cause they're fun to spew. I don't know, but yeah, there's definitely no data uh, to support anything that obviously if a guy's BMI is like 19, all right, well maybe we have something there, but you know, and, until we see that data, then there's, there's nothing that I've seen at least. Makes sense to me. All right, you mentioned the Rams medical staff. That's the first guy we're going to talk about here, Matthew Stafford. Um, the Athletics' Jordan Rodriguez reports that the Rams will, quote, keep one eye on Matthew Stafford's throwing arm all season. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Edwin, I really don't think I have the stomach as a longtime Allen Robinson backer to add John Wolford onto the long list of oh, quarterbacks no. that have caught, you know, thrown Allen Robinson a pass in the NFL. How worried should we be if worried at all about this Matthew Stafford thing, which has been kind of weird the way they've talked about it. But I also think Sean McVay is just kind of a weirdo and, and a bit dramatic in how he talks in general. So kind of give me your, your take on this whole Stafford situation. Yeah, man. So a couple different things. Uh, the first thing is, how cruel would this universe be if we had to see? Let's not even bring it. Let's not I even can't, talk about I, it. I, I, don't know, I can't even bring the, the, the thought into my mind. I'm trying to uh, manifest good things here. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But let, let's talk about Stafford instead. But yeah, that would that would that would really <laughs> that suck. Would suck. That would really suck. Um, here's the deal. Right. So uh, I'm not by any means am I like the subject matter expert. Right. But I do see these. I've seen a handful of, of medial elbow pain. Right. That's what we would call it. It's either ligament or uh, the muscles of flexor pronator mass that's they attach at the same spot. Boom. John, maybe put that on the video right ish <laughs> here. Um, that's the issue that we are assuming that Stafford has. It is more common in baseball players. Right. That the UCL is the Tommy John ligament. That's the one that, you know, if you rupture it, not not great. You're going you're gonna to need surgery uh, to, if you ever want to throw athletically again, right? It could be that, or it could also be the flexor pronator mass that I just mentioned that literally helps to flex your hand and your fingers, your wrist attaches there too. So they gave him a PRP injection in March. They put him on a throwing program in August, in July, August, right? That's not great. That just means that they're, you know, if it were something that was going to resolve with the injection than it would have resolved with the injection and with rehab. It obviously didn't. Here's where I think that things get tricky. Again, if there was any quarterback in this entire league that I would, you know, entrust to a, a medical staff or any medical staff, I would entrust a quarterback to, to deal with this and manage this all season long. It would be the Rams. They leave no stone unturned, whether some of this stuff they, they use as cutting edge or, you know, some would say 
isn't proven or whatever. I mean, at least we know that they're doing literally everything in their power that is even plausible to keep their athletes on the field. And hey, they've had results. They, they have really good results with that. So they're going to have to keep him on some sort of, we don't want to call it a pitch count right? But they are going to check in with him daily. How are you feeling this week? How are you feeling this month? How did it feel yesterday? How do you think, can you throw, you know, 30, 30 passes or the first five passes on our script in week seven? Those are the things they're going to have to monitor and watch for. Yes, Matthew Stafford has probably dealt with this since before he even got to the Rams. They probably knew when they brought him on board, this might have become an issue. And I know that the narrative is, oh, Matthew Stafford's a tough guy. Like he plays through injuries. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm not arguing that. And, right, period, and new paragraph, the absolute floor for this situation, and again, this might not even be the most likely scenario, but I need to paint the floor. That's my job as an injury analyst is painting the floor. The absolute floor, knock on knock on wood, for Allen Robinson's sake, for Matthew Stafford's sake, for everybody's sake, is that, you know, that this doesn't happen, but the absolute floor is that this thing ruptures the way it did for Big Ben in 2019. The Big Ben's injury is the closest comparable thing that we have to this situation. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that's even the most likely thing that could happen, but it's in the range of outcomes, yep. right? So whatever you want to take that for, I hope that it doesn't happen. Uh, that would be obviously terrible for everybody involved. But I, I think that's what we need to understand when we're taking on Stafford. We're not just taking on, he might be playing through pain in week 14. Like we're taking on he that something worst case scenario might actually end up happening. Again, not the most likely scenario, but a good volatility right i mean that's that's basically what you're saying there is that that is within the range of outcomes that doesn't make you feel good to hear no matter how likely or unlikely it is and, and usually with these situations because i don't think anybody really cares about stafford and fantasy um i mean to a certain extent like he can be a starting quarterback for you i've got him ranked quarterback 12 in, in my rankings so he can be that guy for you but what's the is there, there's a tier cap for me between him and Derek carr and Kirk cousins but it's not a huge tier gap, right? Like it, it, I don't care if you end up having to go down to one of those guys instead of Stafford. It's really about Cooper cup. It's about Allen Robinson. And you know, that's pretty much it. So if you want to use this Stafford thing, at least from the way I hear you saying it, if you want to use this Stafford thing to break ties in favor of taking Justin Jefferson uh, instead of Cooper Cup, I think that's fair. If you want to take one of these Denver guys like Cortland Sutton or, or Jerry Judy, who are kind of around Allen Robinson and consensus ADP, I, I'd rather have Robinson than, than both those guys. But if you want to break ties in favor of taking one of those players, I think that's that's kind of how you use this Stafford thing, if I, if I catch your drift. Yep, 100% agree. All right, let's move to two big-name running backs, starting with Christian McCaffrey. You mentioned him earlier. I mean, Edwin, I want to be really sensitive in how I talk about Christian McCaffrey because I know that some fantasy analysts are out there just like, he's the number one player on the board because the the role is so uniquely rare. It, it, we, we throw out unicorn, unique, whatever, all the time, like you people with this Kyle Pitts thing, despite the fact that he takes a percentage of his snaps in line, it's pretty similar to like Mark Andrews, but that's beside the point. We throw out unicorn and stuff all the time, but McCaffrey really does have a unicorn role when it comes to fantasy football, but I totally sympathize with casual players, veteran players, whoever, that are pissing their pants about how many games he's missed the last couple of years. What do we do with Christian McCaffrey heading into this season? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is there this is sort of twofold, right? We know Jonathan Taylor would have been like the RB3 or something. I think you guys talked about this in one of your recent pods. Yes. Like in like 20, what, like 2020, he would have been like the RB3 or something. We know that they love Naeem Hines. His coach came out and said ground and pound teams don't, you know, don't run the ball. Or, I mean, championship teams don't ground and pound. Uh, they've mentioned how, you know, they don't want him to lead the league and touch like all that stuff, right? Obviously, it's the preseason, a lot of it's narrative, but you still don't love to see it. The flip side, right, which is hilariously like totally juxtaposed is Matt Rule being like, we're going to attack with Christian McCaffrey. Like, I don't know <laughs> if he has that like accent or Southern accent, but he might. He doesn't, um, but. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. Uh, it's not a great I never accent, watch the games. So. I just stare at my spreadsheets. So the, here's the thing is like, those are two totally different things, right? So if you're shooting for upside McCaffrey, if you go for JT, it's here's the, there's two things. Again, I understand if you want to go JT over McCaffrey, I'm not here to judge your emotions. It's your fantasy draft. You have fun. However, that whatever that means to you. And if you're like, nope, not doing it again, it would be the third year in a row. I understand. Like, I get it. Also understand this. There are about four high ankle sprains to top 12 players by ADP every year. There are, you know, over the last 
four years, there have been 45 concussions to top 12 players or something like that. I think it's either 2020, 2016 to 2019 or 2016 to 2020. I don't remember. Um, it's, it's been a lot. I think I actually might expand. I think I'm actually uh, combining some of the research that I've done. I, I think that it's actually like 45 in the top 25 or something like that. So in PPR points per game. They're basically the what the, what I'm saying is that unpredictable injuries and contact injuries like they happen, right? They happen all the time and they're not predictable. You don't know when a high ankle sprain is going to hit. You don't know when a first time concussion is going to happen. You don't know when a first time AC joint is going to happen. I mean, we were worried about DeAndre Swift's groin last year and then he had an AC joint sprain like injuries happen at a high rate and specifically ACLs, right? Those happen all the time. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Jonathan Taylor, but understand that I think a little bit of that security is a and going JT is a little bit of a false sense of security just because freak things happen all the time. So if that's enough to push you over the edge to take McCaffrey, that's that's you know that's something to at least consider. What I'll say and sort of the case, the bull case for Christian McCaffrey, and of course I'm being an injury optimist here. Uh, he doesn't have anything that is out of the ordinary. Like I mentioned already, in it, you know college games are correlated with uh, college games played are correlated with NFL games played, and Christian McCaffrey missed one game in college because of injury. And then he played three years in the NFL without an injury. Lo and behold, in 2020, he missed a large chunk of the season. He had a high ankle sprain. He had an AC joint sprain. Um, and then he had a quad strain, right? So then we go into 2021. He gets this, uh, he gets his hamstring strain and he also gets this lateral ankle sprain. Here's the thing. All of those are very common running back injuries. So if you want to view it as, injury regression for McCaffrey, you definitely could. I think another thing that doesn't help him is that the Panthers, and maybe rightly so, because they've invested a lot of money in him, they definitely take their time with him in their rehab. They definitely yeah. are, are. They definitely draw that out. They're never rushing him back, which, it, and honestly, that probably part of what played into him not coming back after the the hamstring as quickly as as he he we would have assumed that he was going to. So all of these things in you know in a vacuum. If you view Christian McCaffrey, he's just had really bad injury luck. Like there's not one particular thing that he keeps happening to him over and over again, right? And all of the injuries he's had, the top three, hamstring, AC, ankle, those are all the three most common injuries that happen to NFL players. Leonard Fournette has had ankle issues. I mean, Elijah Mitchell right now is dealing with hamstring issues. Saquon Barkley, Joe Mixon, uh, he's he's dealt with ankle, you know, ankle issues in the past. Dalvin Cook had an eversion sprain last year. Chase Edmonds had an eversion sprain last year. Austin Eckler had an eversion sprain. Those are basically the high ankle mechanisms. Like we can't predict those. So all I'm saying is the lateral ankle sprain, it's got about an 8% recurrence rate. Hamstring strain after a calendar year, it's about a 5% recurrence rate. So I can't guarantee that he's not going to get injured. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the material risk, I think, is a lot lower than what emotion might dictate. Yeah, I think it's an emotional thing, right? Uh, that's my big part with McCaffrey is that I think part of it is the extreme disappointment of going from the best thing in fantasy football to absolutely nothing. That That is really what drives you emotion. And also just sort of the fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me type thing with McCaffrey with two years in a row. So I get where people are coming from, but I do take a lot of solace in, in your analysis with this, and it makes me feel better about taking him um, second overall at the, at the very worst. So Edward and I are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're jumping into his favorite player in the NFL, Saquon Barkley. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, Edwin, uh, we're back. Let's talk Saquon Barkley. Floor is yours, man. I mean, <laughs> there's been a lot of Barkley discussion on this show. Andy Barron's is super low on him. Dalton Del Don is super high on him. Um, centrist Matt Harmon is somewhere in the middle of those two guys. <laughs> Where should we be on Saquon Barkley this year? You're, you're the guy I feel like you've talked about the most this offseason. Should I do this like WWE promo style? Listen here. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it that way. Um, here's the deal. All right. Same thing as we just talked about with Chris McCaffrey. It's emotional. I get it. I totally understand. Um, some of the stuff that's happened with 
uh, Saquon Barkley has been frustrating. You've drafted him, you know, and you you thought that he, especially if you followed me last year, I mean, I was on him last year, that, you know, not to flex, but that was on the right track. So we'll start there. You guys have mentioned it before. At all you need to know, be, between weeks one and four, through those four weeks, he was the RB9 on a points-per-game basis, and he only played 48% of snaps in week one. Right. That ACL wasn't going to phase him. I mean, it was going to be something that maybe he would have dealt with later in the season. I couldn't predict that. But through the first month, I mean, the dude was spry. The dude was putting up fantasy points. Not to say that he didn't look great after the ankle, but let's talk about that, right? So he looked fantastic in week five after the whistle blew, stepped on a defender's foot, and he was never the same, right? You didn't know if it was him or... Um, gosh, and I already forgot the backup's name, 28 and 29, um, from last year when they were getting out of the, getting off the Devontae pile, you didn't even, Devontae Booker, you're like, dude, was that Devontae or is that Saquon? Like, I understand the state of affairs things got to last year, but the bottom line is that if the ACL wasn't going to stop him and affect his ex explosiveness, and we saw that it didn't, we saw that it wasn't going to impact his fantasy scoring last year, now that he's had another year to rehab from the ACL and he's had a year to rehab from the fluke ankle sprain, we're looking at a guy who... You know, in college, he missed a handful, I think three, two or three games. We know that the cutoff is, is right around three or four uh, due to injury to really impact and, and have an impact in the NFL. And I sort of mentioned, I think this might have been on Twitter or something like you can really view the last two years for Saquon as one giant wash. It was the ACL. Then immediately after it was the ankle. And it's kind of interesting because you can actually sort of see a parallel between Christian McCaffrey and Saquon in that way is that Christian McCaffrey had one really terrible injury year and then he had another really terrible injury year right back to back from each other, right? And Saquon, the same thing. He had a bad ACL injury, but you can sort of take that in a vacuum. Like that year was a wash. Then this wasn't due to like compensatory issue. This wasn't due to anything like any big box an analyst last year. That's this is sort of like what we mentioned before that told you like, oh, I told you not to take Saquon this is totally being disingenuous. Like he stepped on yeah. a dude's foot. Right. So yeah. you got a guy. He's 25 years old. He's got this elite athleticism. The last uh, or the 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 next most athletic running back of his caliber was literally Adrian Peterson. So it's not surprising that he was going to smash last year. If we think he was going to smash last year, which I personally do, and I personally saw it with my own eyes and in the box scores, then why wouldn't we believe that this year, right? So again, we just mentioned with Christian McCaffrey, there's about an 8% recurrence rate in lateral ankle sprains. I've mentioned the guys who have had ankle sprains in the past. You think of Fournette. You think of Mixon, you think of a lot of different Miles Sanders. I mean, all these guys that, you know, they don't necessarily follow them in their careers. Like these, these ankle sprains happen. So um, I think that's the spiel. I don't know if I missed anything. No, I think that was it. And I think the biggest takeaway from the last two guys is that the last couple of years has been really painful for both McCaffrey and, um, and Saquon Barkley too. But it doesn't mean that the next two years are they have to be painful. Um, like there is an exactly. upside case for both of these guys. I did have a listener point out that because I asked Dalton, like, who's the last guy that you can remember that just was basically dust for two years and then came back and had an extremely good season or got right back on track? They pointed out Doug Martin. And um, that was an interesting one. I kind of forgot that he had that two year gap of just like doing nothing and then actually had another really strong season so it is possible with these guys and if your league mates really push McCaffrey you know outside of the top three picks or Saquon Barkley late into the second round I, god forbid even the third round I think you're looking at something really good there Barkley especially feels extremely fluky because of that um, ankle injury there so I, I love to hear that let's move on to uh, a couple other guys here Ezekiel Elliott, you had him on the list as well to talk about. Dallas really wants you to believe, and Zeke really wants you to believe, that um, <laughs> had he never gotten that PCL injury, he, he'd have had a, a great season last year. And Edwin, I kind of want to believe it too. So should I believe it or not? I think you should take their word for it. Uh, I don't think it, I, I definitely think you should take the word for it. I'll put it that way. I mean, the problem is you can't repair a PCL that's only partially torn, or at least you sh probably shouldn't, according to the data. So yeah, this was definitely something that impacted Zeke and something that impacted his numbers. Uh, I, I just think that people are sort of, they always give a little, they always, you know, account for injuries a little too much. And that this is probably the case for for Ezekiel Elliott. He's not washed, right? He's 27 years old. Like, no, he's not going to go up and put Saquon numbers up. He's not going to put JT numbers up. But he's gonna he's gonna put solid numbers up. Like he looked good before that injury. Um, and I'll say that 
Um, Pollard has injuries of his own. I mean, he tore the plantar yeah. fascia in his foot. Like, that's not great either. Like, you don't want to see that. That's a bad, that's uh, a he, rough one. <laughs> that's not great. So, um, again, it, this the answer to this backfield might just be, meh, okay, like lukewarm. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be a league winner, Zeke, but I definitely think he's going to be better than last year. We know that uh, on some, some research done by Dr. Adam Hutchinson, another physical therapist, that the AJ Pex is extended by about a year for uh, athletes who have seen 130 carries, 26 receptions and at least two seasons of 50 plus receptions in a career. Uh, we know that AJ Pex is actually roughly around 27 and a half, 28. And so obviously that's, Ze- that's Zeke's right there. That doesn't mean he can't ride this plateau another year or two. Like I do think he still has more in the tank and the last two years have been bad, but he's had, you know, in 2020 he had hamstring and calf injury probably because of the up and down workload. So he wasn't in the best shape of his life in that year, you know, that year either. So the last two years for Zeke have again, sort of been like a, a micro Saquon and, and McCaffrey. And I think people are just sort of discounting him too quickly. He's not washed. I don't think he's washed. I think he actually could have a really good year. And I, I don't group him in with those dead zone backs that we talked about on the last episode. I, I think he's like, give me Zeke over Elijah Mitchell and Travis Etienne and all these guys forced like a tier above those players there. Um, Dalvin Cook, you also had on the list here. He's somebody I've bumped up my rankings up to running back four, just behind Taylor McCaffrey and Austin Eckler. It is kind of funny that Dalvin Cook definitely gets injured every year. He just hasn't had, you know, that like McCaffrey long absence, something like that. So um, should we be, you know, kind of viewing him the same way as these other running backs we've talked about? I would take Saquon and McCaffrey before. I, I mean, obviously from like a game, like a game strategy perspective, you'd take McCaffrey before a lot of these guys. But, you know, I would take Saquon over Dalvin Cook. I would probably oh, yeah. take um, from a health perspective anyway. I would definitely take Austin Eckler over Dalvin Cook from a health perspective. Um, Najee might be where I draw the line just because he's like, you know, he's like drafting vanilla ice cream. I'm really still salty that Dalton took Saquon and I had to take Najee just to keep up with the, that first round. I'm, I'm so bitter about that. I, I'm still so mad about that. Moral of the story. Here's what you got with Dalvin Cook. Yes, he's had the ankle. He had the ankle last year. Uh, you worry about the shoulder, right? Since high school, this guy has dislocated his shoulder five times. He's had it repaired um, in, you know, before 2019, he had it repaired. Didn't have another pair after it came out in 2019. I don't know if you remember uh, Shoulder Gate. It was when Alexander yes. Madison was a rookie. Yeah, so that was like one of the that was uh, one of the first big pieces that I put out that got a lot of traction on the internet's, um, and it was talking about what was going on because Alexander Madison like had a high ankle sprain that same game. So there was a lot going on, and that shoulder thing hasn't left Dalvin Cook. Right, he's obviously played more games because of it, but at any point, this is very similar to the Stafford conversation. When he's on, he's on, he's going, he's got a new system. He's going to catch, maybe hopefully, fingers crossed, catch more passes. Um, he is wearing the harness that's going to help keep his shoulder you know, in line. And uh, it's going to keep him effective. But you saw what could have been, you know, it was just best case scenario last year. I mean, he did dislocate the shoulder and he did miss a game. And the worst case scenario in this sort of, if we're painting again the floor, the worst case scenario is this dude re-dislocates again. It starts coming out when he rolls her over in bed, which athletes will report once there's literally no labrum left, that thing's clinging on for dear life. They can roll over in bed and it'll dislocate. If he gets to that point, which could happen at any point in the season, like he's done for the year. Yeah. Again, I'm not predicting it. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but the redislocation rate is is literally roughly 50% after you redislocate it again post-surgical. So the chances of, of Dalvin Cook having a shoulder injury are definitely non-zero. Like that's not something that I'm not trying to have a hot take. Like statistically speaking, um, this is something that you that you should definitely be concerned about. The last thing I'll say in terms of targets, if he's got that harness on, I mean, this is something that maybe is a little more narrative-ish, but it is something to consider that I think about as a PT. Like if he's got that harness on, the whole point of the harness is to keep you below uh, shoulder level. And if he can't lift to catch will they even put him out there for screen passes will they put him out there for wheel routes if they know he can't lift his arm over his head like are they going to put him in that position or are they going to go another direction that's just some a small thing that again i can't prove or disprove or know for a fact but it's something to consider no i honestly i hadn't even considered that but that's a good point right like (laughs) this is a whole big boost to me pushing dalvin cook to fourth overall is is this passing game role and running out of 11 personnel is, is a part of it too but some additional pass catching work is certainly the reason I want to take him over a guy like Derrick Henry or whatever. But um, man, yeah, I hadn't even considered that that might actually hold him back in that way. I think one thing as we're kind of moving away from the early round running backs, I mean, we just talked about Jonathan Taylor, 
Christian McCaffrey, um, my guy Austin Eckler, he's you know he's had injury issues in the past. He's my third-ranked running back. Dalvin Cook, we've got Derrick Henry. We're going to talk about him when we do our brief Titans preview at the end of the show. I've got Aaron Jones, which I know is a hot take, as a running back six. Najee Harris, but like DeAndre Swift at eight. Um, Joe Mixon, his name came up there at some point. Leonard Fournette's name came up at some point. Saquon Barkley, that, that that's my top 11 backs right there. So it's, it's like if you're fading a guy for injuries – I guess you're just not taking running backs at all. So I think that's kind of one thing to uh, to remember throughout this entire discussion. All right, Edwin, we're going to go a little more rapid fire on some of these guys here, but let's let's group Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins together because I think Dobbins, and actually let's start on Dobbins because I think Dobbins is just narrowly ahead of the dead zone backs for me personally. Mm. Mm. I, or at least I want to believe that. Maybe you can talk me out of it here. Um, I'm I'm open to that, but um, Gus Edwards is going to open the season on the reserve PUP. We found that out today. That was kind of as expected. Um, J.K. Dobbins, where are we at with him for, in what sounds like it was kind of a complicated ACL tear? Yeah, it sounds like he had a little bit of posterior lateral corner or LCL and or LCL. Uh, it's just a, a bigger surgical procedure, longer rehab. You don't love to hear that 30 days, 32 days before the home opener, John Harbaugh saying things like his leg got a little tired. You don't love to see that. You don't love to hear that. Uh, so that's definitely something to consider. Quad atrophy and your quad weakness and, and connection between the brain and the muscle is something you worry about after an ACL tear, especially when it's a, a bigger procedure like that. So there's we also know that since 2009, there's about a 17% dip in fantasy points uh, from dudes coming off an ACL tear. Uh, we know also the flip side is the flip side is if you're an elite athlete, if you have high draft capital, and if you play offense and you get enough opportunity, you can overcome an ACL tear, uh, which is why I was on Saquon last year. But the, the, the situation is different because we know this was a much more severe injury that was still nagging him up until this point. So uh, I don't love him as, you know, as I saw, I actually drafted last night and a guy took him as his anchor. I don't love that. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't do it scary. personally. Uh, you, you could get away with it. The other thing is, since it's a lot more involved of, a, of an issue, we know that, you know, since 2000, from 2015 to 2021, there were about, um, I want to say it was 15 cases. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Sorry, maybe I shouldn't. I'm not a real professional. Uh, 15 <laughs> cases of, of dudes who came came back from the knee itself and had had complications of the knee and were on the injury report because of the knee because it got inflamed or whatever. But that's definitely in play for J.K. Dobbins. So I know I'm painting sort of a... Uh, a bad picture but the flip side is hey he's gonna have that backfield to himself if he's if he's available to week one like i don't want to say to himself but i mean he's the best bet right so um that's that's where i'm at on him that's probably a non-answer uh <laughs> i think that if you want to take a shot on him then you're more you're more courageous than i am yeah i think it's just he's very risky for sure which is why i kind of have him the last guy before the dead zone but i mean maybe i just need to bang him back down um, I don't, I don't know. Do you don't, do you think he belongs in the same tiers like a Zeke Elliott type guy, or does he belong more with the Elijah Mitchell, Travis Etienne, Cam Akers, who we're about to talk about? His mini tier. We'll put him in a tier on his own. Can, oh, cop, can I hedge? Can I hedge my answer? The hedge answer. Well, we talked about the hedge <laughs> ranking plenty of times on the show, so we'll let you do it here. Um, all right, let's talk Cam Akers. Obviously, coming back from the Achilles tear last year, um, came back really fast. We know we know the deal with Cam Akers. Andy and I talked about him as. Definitely one of the running backs that could bang your season uh, if you take him for a variety of different reasons that aren't injury related. But what is the injury case for or against Cam Akers? Yeah, and I know I'm I'm, I'm really dragging along, so I'm trying I'm going to try to be as brief as possible. So I think the big picture that we need to know and and recognize is that an Achilles is not the same as an ACL. I know that sounds obvious to a lot of different people, but it's not. If you go on Twitter, it's not like the, the Achilles is not the same thing as the ACL. When you tear your Achilles tendon, you're essentially you're short circuiting your entire lower leg to any type of power to cut, to jump, to sprint, all those things. You're that's the tendinous junction is what translates all that force and power to be athletic. Even if you repair it, it's not a guarantee you're going to get that power back because of all of the, you know, fancy schmancy medical terms we use in in all that tissue surrounding the ankle. That's the physiology underneath the stats. And then the stats are are not good. I mean, the stats on Achilles are pretty abysmal. And we know that his his comeback, we know we want to use it as like a crutch. I was like, oh, but he came back so quickly. It wasn't quite unprecedented. Michael Crabtree came back in six months and one week. Um, I'm sure you were very aware. That's around the time you started charting RP, I think. But he was... Yeah, Crabtree was, was a big early win because he was like... Uh... 
you could see he was still able to run routes. It just was in a bad situation, but it like it took some time for him to get back to shape. Yeah, he I mean, he's yeah, this what the point, I guess, is like this isn't unprecedented. Uh, this procedure has been around since about 2010. I know that people try to hang their hats on that. Uh, the other thing that you really worry about is that this isn't like the ACL in terms of draft capital. Uh, draft capital helps predict bouncing back from injury. Draft capital doesn't help predict bouncing back from an Achilles tear. And that's really something that we worry about, right? Because that was kind of something we we hang our hat on. Uh, but here's a, the rest of the data is like NFL players, they perform when you compare them to non-Achilles, they perform worse than non-Achilles group. They perform worse than any of the three major sports. Of all the positions in football, running backs perform the worst when they return. 35% don't return at all. The NFL, like I just mentioned, NFL draft capital doesn't correlate. So what do we have to hang our hat on with Akers is his young age. He's on the front side of an ascending career. And I mean, hopefully he gets opportunities, but that's not even guaranteed at this point. Yeah. So um, honestly, what I've got, I've gotten to the point where like Akers in the sixth doesn't have me excited. I'm just meh. I'm just meh on him. Yeah, I feel like he's got to fall a little farther uh, for me to be super interested. So not a guy that I've been drafting a lot and definitely I think fits in the group with players that can bang your team. All right, last two guys here before we talk Titans real quick and get out of here, Chris Godwin and Michael Thomas. I think you're you're actually pretty – in fact, I've seen you just say, like, you need to draft Chris Godwin, which <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious about that stance because I definitely have – I've buried Godwin in the rankings. Um, I, I typically don't want to tell people to be drafting guys that I, I know are going to miss time. I know are going to miss games or not going to help you down or they'll help you down the line, but you have to burn a roster spot ahead of time. So where are we at with Chris Godwin and why are you kind of more bullish about, about drafting him despite the, I guess, fast return from an ACL injury? Yeah, uh, and this is obviously totally, it comes down to preference, how you want to draft. It's it's what your risk tolerance is. I'm not saying that Godwin's not, you know, risky at all. In terms of my tiers at fantasypoints.com, he is in the in the um, yellow light tier, like the lowest tier of the yellow light tier. I mean, he definitely comes with some risk. Here's where I stand, though, from like a game strategy perspective, is I like to have guys who are going, I know are going to perform or have the potential to perform in uh, November and December. And we know that Godwin right now is just about, uh, he's going to be roughly eight months when week one hits. And the only pass catcher to come back and play, and I've cited this before, in eight months is Rob Gronkowski. He came back for the first month of the season. He only averaged 50% of snaps and 11 PPR points per game. Then, he, But then he went on to be the tight end one, and he was like the wide receiver. It would have been like the wide receiver nine. It was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so um, those are the things that you look for in pass catchers is, is somebody that you know is going to be able to perform even if they potentially miss time. So the thing on Godwin is he had a relatively minor uh, uh, ACL injury. We know that he didn't start on the pup, which means he was doing individual drills. You love to see that. He's going to have to take contact before we know that he's going to play in week one in the first place. He might not play in week one. But when right. you look at you know the, the wide receivers who have been outliers since 2009 to come back and achieve at least 95% of their pre-injury uh, fantasy football production in their first year post-op their nfl draft capital is about 2.8 that that's in rounds their age was 26 and their athleticism their spork score over at fantasypoints.com was a 56.5 chris godwin was a uh, third round pick which we know at now that he probably should have gone a little higher his age is 26 and his athleticism score is 84.8 he's a freak athlete on top of the fact that he's catching passes from the best quarterback uh in in the history of the game I just think that Chris Godwin is one of those guys that you're going to throw him into your wide receiver three and or flex. And in November, especially if you've been able to manage, like he's you're going to be extremely excited that you did so. Yeah, if you can afford to wait on him, man. I mean, obviously, I think if, if you're giving that the stamp of approval that, you know, November, December, the, the big weeks in, in fantasy, I think he makes sense more as a best ball pick because, you know, if you're making it into these like larger field tournaments, that's great. You 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 benefit there. If you can afford to hold him, you can afford to take other folks. Like I, I, I guess it it does feel a little bit better having you say that because um, I love Chris Godwin, man. I'm such a big Chris Godwin fan. Um, so I, I love to hear that. Last guy, Michael Thomas. What a what a weird <laughs> last couple of years, right? I mean, I don't even know where to start sometimes with Michael Thomas, and we know he's got a hamstring injury right now as well. Um, is he a player we should be worried about injury wise? And did you feel differently before this hamstring um, than you do now? Uh, hamstring doesn't really move the needle for me too much. He was going in like in some of the mock drafts that I'm personally doing. He's going in like the fourth round. I think that's fine. I think if Michael Thomas ends up being your wide receiver three floor four, I don't think he has obviously as much upside as somebody like Godwin does. But, you know, the situation was weird. 
I'm, I'm not going to try to sit here and, you know, figure out what happened with that. I don't know what was going on. He had two different surgical procedures. We do know that the one procedure that he did, according to one study of a small samples, like 14 guys uh, that 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 Sue and colleagues looked at at six months, they were running, jumping and cutting and they had no adverse effects. We know that he had that specific procedure, at least. So, you know, no adverse effects from that. He obviously the other thing, too, with the hamstring is. When you have up and down workloads, we know that there's about a three to seven times more, you know, you're three to seven times more likely to have a soft tissue injury. I mean, the dude just battled two injuries over the last two years. Now he's in training camp. So almost anticipated. We get reports. We got reports out of New Orleans today that it isn't that serious. Um, these things happen in the preseason. It didn't really move the needle for me. Uh, I think he can be a solid contributor on your team. I don't think he's risk free. I'm not going to try to guess, you know, what was going on there. Um, there's also some inherent <laughs> risk involved just with Jameis and the new offense. So uh, honestly, if he again, if he falls as my wide receiver three and I'm super confident in my other guys or as my flex, then I have no problem with taking him. I just wouldn't take him as like my wide receiver two. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I don't think you'll have to. I think that most of the public, if they're off on, you know, McCaffrey and, and Barkley from injury disappointment, they're definitely off of Michael Thomas. I think he makes a lot of sense as a wide receiver three, just because, you know, the upside is there. I don't think he has the same upside as he did in 2019, of course, but I think he was a really good player last time we saw him, even coming back from that ankle injury. You know, he can separate, he can win at all levels. I am super curious to see how he fits with Jameis going forward. So I, I'm totally, I'm glad you said that about Michael Thomas, because I think he could be, I do think there's a range of outcomes where he's like, he really outkicks his ADP to a point where you're you're extremely excited that you drafted him. All right, last thing here, Edwin, we're going to do a quick Titans team preview, and I think this is fitting because, look, the the, the non-mainline guys on the Titans, you know, Ryan Tannehill's a fine QB2, whatever. Traylon Burks, don't be the guy that drafts Traylon Burks. Be the one that tries to pick him up later in the season. It's so ultra clear that, you know, Nick Westbrook-Akina and Kyle Phillips are going to have bigger week one roles. Don't be drafting trailing Burks, but but try to be the person that picks them up later if you're in a traditional managed league, whatever. The two big guys we need to talk about on Titans are Derrick Henry and how much, like, are, are, is there any injury worry there? And Robert Woods, who's another guy that I think could actually be a really decent fantasy value, but he's coming back from an ACL injury last year. So let's start with Henry and uh, actually let's, let's start with Woods because I feel like less people care about Robert Woods <laughs> and then we'll finish with Derrick Henry. <laughs> Well, here's the thing about Robert Woods. Uh, there's this metric I like to use to track um, to track performance or at least try to to isolate wide receiver performance relative to their environment and, the, and their past, you know, their their quarterback. Uh, it's called reception perception. You may have heard of it. You can go to receptionperception.com. You can check out all the data there. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Um, but no, man. Robert Woods is a guy whose reception perception went down before the ACL tear. So, I mean, you tell me what that had to do with, I don't know, like that's your expertise, that's your wheelhouse, but you also get this, uh, again, this dip of roughly 20% uh, fantasy football production in players coming off of an ACL. And we know that Robert Woods doesn't meet, meet any of the criteria we mentioned uh, in terms of uh, uh, being an outlier like Chris Godwin does. So yeah. if his RP was dropping before he's coming off an ACL, I just wouldn't. I mean, he's going so late, like that's fine. I just don't right. see the upside. I'm, I don't know. Maybe you have a better case for him. No, I mean, I have him a wide receiver 42. Um, I, I'd rather, and he's sandwiched between guys like Kadarius Tony and Chris Olave, who obviously have questions of their own. But I think I'd rather take the shot on one of those guys than Robert Woods. I yeah, Woods. I don't think played that well last year. I think he's a declining player at this point, and now we have an injury question and it's just it's difficult I, I don't think there's a big upside case for woods i think you could see a lot of targets and everything but yeah no, I, i'm not i'm not big on robert woods that, that, that's kind of the long and short of it i'm glad you brought up the rp data because yeah it was it was kind of concerning to see the drop from 2020 to 2021 and especially some of those early years with the rams like he was separating really well against man coverage not as much last year and i think that's the re like for all the folks that are like why was cooper cup getting so many targets not robert woods probably because Cooper Cup was playing awesome and Robert Woods was playing below expectation. So that's really just the long and short of it. Their targets are earned and they were earned by Cooper Cup in that situation last year, not Robert Woods. Plus, and I don't, mean, don't discredit your own research that I've heard you cite that you, you know, first year back from an ACL wide receivers drop in, is it man against man? Success uh, rate versus man. Yeah. 2.7%. Yeah. 2.7% yeah, uh, drop on average. It's it's definitely something. And and it obviously, uh, there's one weird year I think we, we can talk about this too, like where Julian Edelman actually 
increase from the prior year but and if you take him out it's almost like a five percent drop so it's a it's a pretty extreme drop there um and their ability to beat man coverage the first year after an acl i i think that woods is just never going to be you know to use scott pianowski's term he's never going to be a proactive pick for me um if he falls to a certain point where i'm starting to take my he's in tier six for me at wide receiver but if like guys from my tier seven are starting to come off the board and woods is still there I would take uh, I would take Woods, but he's just never going to be like that that guy for me. All right, let's finish with Derrick Henry. You know, he man, Derrick Henry was legitimately winning you your league all on his own before he got hurt last year, and I know that because I had Derrick Henry on so many of my teams last year. Um, so, and I'm talking like teams where I drafted Allen Robinson and like Antonio Gibson, and Derrick Henry was still carrying my ass to to some good fantasy weeks there. So he was really doing something. Um, just not in the injury prone invitation, right? <clears throat> no, not in that one. Unfortunately, <laughs> God, I got steamrolled last year. I got, I got. No, you did. Nobody got steamrolled. That's the I thing mean, is I that I'm sorry, this is off track, yeah. but no, nobody got steamrolled because it was it, literally everybody was so deadlocked. It was, it was actually one of the most fun leagues I had last year. Sorry, continue. No, I'm just afraid from a win loss perspective, you are what your record says you are, and my record <laughs> says I sucked last year. So uh, there's that. Um, but <laughs> I I do want to just make the point about Derrick Henry that he was on such a tear. He gets injured. We saw him come back in the playoffs, and you know he wasn't his usual self, probably to be expected. But is there any concern with Derrick Henry from an injury perspective, from a workload perspective, and where would you personally draft him in the first round this year, or maybe not in the first round at all? I don't know. I'd probably take all the running backs we've talked about to, uh, already today ahead of Derrick Henry. And Even Cam Akers? No, I'm, just, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I guess that's touche. I guess first-round running backs, touche. First-round running backs. Yeah. Um, again, I'll try to keep it brief. He's an outlier. He's a monster. He's a machine. We didn't even know he was human until last year. Uh, he came back from that injury. If we're judging him based on, I mean, we don't have anybody to literally compare him to. We don't have any data to compare him to. We don't have any precedent. He's 6'3", 260 pounds, right? He's like a defensive end out there running the ball. So there's nobody we can compare him to. So if we look at it from just a physical perspective and performance perspective, a physiological perspective, he's a massive human carrying the ball, grounding and pounding, you know, stiff arming and, and trucking linebackers at every turn. He's huge. That's pressure, stress on the joints, unpre an unprecedented amount of force going through that body constantly. If we think that his fracture was a, a stress fracture or a stress reaction, or at least a contributed through a stress reaction because of that grounding and pounding of the foot into the ground, then we could make the direct connection, his workload, his size, his frame, and his age caught up to him. And if we're making that argument, Right. We shouldn't really make that argument for any other running back because it doesn't really apply necessarily. Usually it's contact or non-contact. This was like a true workload related injury. And if his body started breaking down last year, a year later, I'm not so certain that it's not going to continue to do that. Could it be another stress fracture, another stress reaction? Could it be a rolled ankle? Could it be him just slowing down? Right. We know his efficiency has been dropping already. I am to the point where and this also is probably an emotional thing. Right. Like if Derek, Derek Henry's carried you for three years, if you've gone out of your way to draft in three years, like you're probably saying the opposite of what you're saying with McCaffrey is like, dude, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to ride this till the wheels fall off. I'll go down with the ship. And I understand that. Uh, I'd rather be out. I'd ne I've never been in on Henry anyway. So I'm going to be out personally just because I'd rather be a year early than a year too late. If he has another year and he, you know, crams it down my my face hole then that's fine uh i just don't at this point man that offense is so bad and like he's not gonna get potentially not get passing down work and he's got a stress reaction he's playing with screws and, and a plate in his foot i just i just think there's so many better options yeah i mean I, I i totally understand the idea of a year too early than a year too late that said like he is like we're talking about the titans he is the titans identity I, I, I kind of come down either way with Derrick Henry. If you want, like you said, if you want to be out on him, that's fine. If you want to be in on him, I'd definitely rather have him than, sorry, but Saquon Barkley or, or any of these Oof. other guys. Uh, <laughs> hey, at least he that played. That would hurt. That yeah, hurt. yeah. Um, I'd rather have him there, but I did move Dalvin Cook uh, ahead of Derrick Henry. I do have Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler ahead of Derrick Henry, but I've still got him firmly kind of entrenched in that RB5 area because. I mean, you made a great case of why the wheels could fall off for Derrick Henry. 
There's obviously the case why you can ride at him until the wheels fall off. But I mean, I'm just looking at, at these running backs, Edwin. It's it's insane that how we just talked about every guy in my top 11 backs, pretty much. And with the exception of Najee Harris and, and Aaron Jones, we didn't really talk like we talked an injury situation, at least tangentially with everybody involved. So there's a risk for everybody to get hurt basically at the running back position. It sounds like, and it, that's why it's a volatile position. And that's why there is the zero running back strategy. That's why there's the hero running back strategy. My God, we did, we did an episode yesterday, uh, Edwin, where we talked about like the mid round running backs. who can sink your team. And you know, we have named off all these guys who were super secure, but the one thing that makes them all insecure is that we, they could get hurt at any point. And that's kind of my main takeaway here. It seems. Yeah. I mean, I think that, Sorry, I was muted for a second. I mean, yeah, there's definitely um, risk. I would just say that some guys are riskier than others. I would drop uh, Derek Henry and Dalvin Cook into that that bucket of riskier than others. Well, there you go. So now Not you can be feel better. Not to be a downer. No, no, that's that's the way. Honestly, that is the way to end it because I think that's what people want to know is who is more risky at this already inherently risky position. Cook and Henry seem to be those guys. While these other players, there might seem like there's more risk because of recency bias and what's been going on lately with guys like McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. And honestly, that's the thing, like the longer the injury absence goes, the more it hurts the emotions. And and I think, honestly, if you want to be a great fantasy player, you need to take emotion out of the equation as often as possible. And I think with that, we can call it an episode. Edwin. Tell the people out there where they can find your great work that, you know, Dalton and I cite all the time. Um, we, we cite you from from your tweets, everything like that. Tell the people all about what you've got going on at Fantasy Points and everything else. No, I appreciate you guys. Um, it's at uh, FBAndrewDoc is my my Twitter. This was super fun. I'm sorry I was so long-winded. Um, yeah, just find me. Uh, oh, you're, you're in good company. Doc. You're in good company with the long-windedness. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, go go ahead. Yeah, no, at FB Injury Doc, and then I do have my own podcast where I don't go anywhere near as long. Um, those are typically 10-minute episodes during the season, get you caught up. Everything you need to know for waiver wire moves and any injury-related news, the injury-prone podcast. So that's all I got. That's awesome, man. People should go subscribe to that podcast so that you can get this type of information because, I mean, you're going to get us reacting to injury news, but if you want kind of the real, real prognosis of these guys when they get hurt, Go check out Edwin's podcast, the Injury Prone Podcast. Edwin, thanks so much for joining us on this um, episode. Hopefully it wasn't too much of a downer with all this injury stuff. I feel like we painted some optimistic <laughs> pictures for yeah. some of these guys yeah. along the way. So like Edwin said, follow him on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc. Follow me on Twitter at MattHarmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, for God's sakes, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. One of our most fun episodes we'll do all year. Dalton and I are talking about our San Francisco 49ers. Get the hype train ready, baby. We're going to just take a drink every time we say Brandon Ayuk. Uh, this is the year. Until then, we're out.